Please stand for the reading of God's word. Luke 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, he acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. 
When he was at a table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. They were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he, did, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. This is God's word. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. The Apostle Paul wrote, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to twelve, then he appeared to over 500 at one time. This life-transforming message would never have seen the light of day if Jesus' followers hadn't risked their lives to proclaim it. We admire them for their faith. Yet, they had little faith on that first Easter morning. They believed in Jesus, just not in his resurrection until the proof was overwhelming. This morning, we're going to explore their struggles so that we, in our faith, can be strengthened. We're going to journey with Jesus' most ardent followers and discovered that none of them expected him to rise. Let's pray. Lord, meet us today. Meet us with the truth of the resurrection and the joy of what he offers us. 
And may we be strengthened to follow you just as the disciples did. Amen. I hope that by looking at the reasons they disbelieved in their eventual belief, that we will overcome any lingering doubts about what Jesus has accomplished. We begin with the women who followed and supported Jesus throughout his ministry. On the third day after Jesus' crucifixion, a number of women, including Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, made their way to Jesus' burial place. It was dawn when they arrived with spices to anoint his body, unaware that they were about to experience the dawn of a new age. They were surprised to find the stone had been rolled away and that the tomb was empty. Instead of recalling Jesus' prophecy that he would rise on the third day, they were perplexed as to why his body was gone. Resurrection never entered their minds until two angels appearing as men in dazzling apparel said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? The angels reminded them that Jesus had told them to expect his victory over the grave. They said, he is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day? How could Jesus' astounding prediction have not struck home? They must have heard Jesus say this many times for it was central to his message. And it was what he pointed to as proof that he was Messiah. They heard his words, but they never allowed them to sink in. This is a problem endemic to all of us. We hear, but we don't realize. After a young man once acknowledged to me that Jesus is the Savior of the world, I asked, so what does it mean that Jesus is the Savior of the world? He responded, it beats me. He had all the right words without any understanding at all. Millions of people will celebrate Easter today, listening to messages about Christ's resurrection without ever wondering about its significance for the world or for themselves. Two days ago, Mark Kellner of the Washington Post composed an article based on a recent Lifeway survey. He wrote, Millions and millions of Americans will commemorate the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday. But many still struggle to connect an event that they affirm as historically true to their daily lives. For many, it seems, the Easter miracle is compelling, but not particularly relevant. It is relevant. Christ's resurrection means death has been conquered and eternal life is available to everyone. That our world will one day be restored to what it was meant to be. That all injustice, pain, and suffering will be vanquished. It means that everything Jesus said or promised will come true. 
Even though the women had been with Jesus for years, they missed so much of what Jesus taught because it didn't go from head to heart until the first Easter when they came to believe he is risen. So the women rushed to tell the apostles their story. They were met with doubt. Verses 10 and 11. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. They did not believe them. We would expect the apostles to be overjoyed at this news, but instead they called the news an idle tale. Many other translations say nonsense. They heard eyewitness testimony from the women they most trusted, and they said nonsense. See, they had heard many myths, and it sounded like another myth to them. It was too implausible to believe. The resurrection story is invariably met with skepticism. An early adversary of Christianity, Celsus, wrote, But who saw this? A hysterical female, as you say, and perhaps some other one of those who were deluded by the same sorcery. This way of dismissing Jesus' resurrection is common today. If we're able to explain away the eyewitness reports, then we don't have to deal with the immense implications that Christ is alive. In their minds, the eyewitnesses were hysterical, under a spell, delusional, or hallucinating. It's an idle tale. But it's shocking that Jesus' closest followers joined this chorus of disbelief. Why? They knew myths. It sounded like one. But that would change. They would soon become eyewitnesses themselves, except for Thomas, who wasn't present when Jesus first appeared to them. Thomas said he wouldn't believe his ten closest friends unless he personally saw the risen Christ. And God was gracious to Thomas. A week later, he appeared to him. And Thomas responded, My Lord and my God. Jesus said, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who've not seen and yet believed. See, one's disbelief doesn't negate the reality of Christ's resurrection. Jesus was just as alive when Thomas doubted him as when Thomas saw him. Jesus was just as alive when the apostles said an idle tale as he was when he appeared to them. They should have trusted the testimony of those who saw him. We should have confidence in the eyewitness reports of everyone who witnessed this event, including 500 who saw him at one time. So around the same time, two other disciples, 
Cleopas and his companion were making their way to Emmaus, a village about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were grappling with the bewildering news that was swirling around them. They had believed that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, but their hopes were crushed when he was crucified. They heard a story of women claiming that Jesus was alive, but it sounded preposterous. When Jesus stealthily joined them on their journey, he inquired about their conversation. And they explained everything that had happened, including the shattering of their hopes. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow in heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? They were slow of heart to believe because they failed to understand the grand story of history, the grand story of Scripture, which has Jesus' death and resurrection at the very center of it. So beginning with Moses and the prophets, he showed them how God's story pointed to Jesus. They were like the religious leaders who, to whom Jesus once said, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but it's they that bear witness about me. Their misreading of scripture led them to believe the law was the key to eternal life and that the Messiah would be a conquering king without realizing he would first be a suffering savior. They missed the heart of scripture. They'd put Jesus in a box as a giver of the law and a conquering Messiah. When he broke out of that box as Savior and risen Lord, they weren't ready for it. Do you ever put Jesus in a box? Do you see him as a great moral teacher, but not the greatly needed Savior of our souls? As the one of many esteemed leaders, but not as Lord of the universe, as a way to God, but not the way to God, as love incarnate, but never as judge. Do we expect him to jump through our hoops, mandating that he make everything right in our lives now, not when he returns? demanding that he fulfill our personal dreams rather than us fulfilling his desires. Believe in the Jesus of the Bible, not the one we'd like him to be. This will happen when we understand the grand story of Scripture and we put Jesus' death and resurrection at the center of our lives. Cleopas and his companion came to realize that Jesus was with them after he disappeared. They hurriedly returned to Jerusalem to tell the apostles that Jesus had been with them. The eleven shared that Simon, too, had seen Jesus. And as they were talking, Jesus appeared among them. Surprisingly, even Jesus' presence couldn't dispel their skepticism. Verses 37 and 38. They were startled and frightened. They thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, 
Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? Why did their doubts continue? They knew that dead people don't come back to life. Jesus couldn't be alive, so he had to be a ghost. You know, this premise, dead people stay dead, is really the greatest source of doubt about Jesus' resurrection. If it was common for people to return from the dead, no one would have doubted Jesus' resurrection. But it just doesn't happen. It has to be a miracle. Instead of believing in miracles, today many attribute the Christian testimonies of Jesus' appearances to the century they lived in. In our hubris, we look down on first century people as being naive. Less intelligent than we are. They weren't scientifically advanced or inclined. One doesn't have to believe in science to know that dead people stay dead. The apostles knew that when a person dies, he's put in a grave, and that's the end. And that's the reason they couldn't accept the reality of what was happening right in front of their eyes. They weren't naive first century simpletons. Anyone who thinks the first century witnesses to Jesus' resurrection are naive are the ones who are actually naive. As one pastor wrote, One of the strongest proofs of the resurrection is the fact that the disciples were so prone not to believe it at first. If they'd immediately jumped to the conclusion that he was risen, we could think that their testimony to the resurrection was wish fulfillment. They wanted it so badly that they convinced themselves that it was true, apart from solid evidence. But the gospel narratives show clearly how slow all the disciples were to believe that Jesus really was risen. They were not gullible men prone to superstitious ideas. They were and easily persuaded to believe. It took a lot of evidence. So we've seen four reasons for their disbelief. The fifth is the most surprising, as we read in verses 41 and 41. And when Jesus had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they were still disbelieving for joy and were marveling, they disbelieved for joy. The news was too good to be true. And this confirms that the apostles didn't imagine Jesus' resurrection because of wishful thinking. The opposite was true. They questioned Jesus' resurrection because they were afraid of being deluded by wishful thinking. Like the apostles, we are naturally suspicious when something sounds too good to be true. Imagine you won a half a billion dollar lottery. You'd find it hard to believe. You'd look at the winning number and you'd look at the ticket and you'd match them over and over again. You'd show it to the people closest to you to see if they see what you're seeing. 
You think you're dreaming, and as you drive to the lottery claim center, your mind is filled with all the scenarios that would show you're mistaken. You finally believe it when they confirm it, and the money appears in your bank account. It would take layers of proof to believe something so good has happened to you. The apostles had layers of proof. Jesus predicted that he would rise on the third day. The women told them Jesus was raised. Simon verified it. Cleopas and his companions told their story of being with Jesus. Jesus was standing in front of them. He showed them his hands and feet to prove he wasn't a ghost. And despite all of that evidence, they couldn't shake their doubts because it was too good to be true. Can you imagine what Jesus put up with? His patience is incomprehensible. So he took some fish and ate it to prove again he's not a ghost. Then he opened their eyes to scripture that foretold his death and resurrection. And he eventually sent the Holy Spirit that quickened their faith and enabled them to be his witnesses. They all came to believe despite layers of doubt and they brought the gospel to the world. Friday's Washington Post said, for many, the Easter story is compelling but not particularly relevant. I hope we are not among those. Look, see, believe, and experience all that Christ has accomplished through his resurrection. His victory over the grave assures every believer that death is not the end. It is the gateway to an eternity with God. It assures us that the power of darkness has been defeated and no longer has mastery over us. As a result of his resurrection, he equips his followers to make a profound difference in our world. He sends his spirit to draw us into unity with God and to progressively transform us more and more into the image of Christ. He guarantees us that all the wrong in our world will one day be made right. And he offers a joy like that he, that, like that he has with the Father. His resurrection proves that everything he taught and promised is true. We can trust that he is the light of the world who illuminates our ways with truth. He's the bread of life who can satisfy every inner longing of our hearts. The good shepherd who will care for us through the storms of life. The true vine who nourishes us spiritually and enables us to bear fruit. He is the way too. God in the way to live with God. He is life itself. As Jesus said to Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe. Let's pray. Jesus, your death is the death of death. Your resurrection is the resurrection of all things. You are the first fruits and the guarantee of a whole new order, the new creation, dominion of redemption and restoration. Because of your compelling love, empower us to live for you and your kingdom. 
To you be the glory forever and ever. Amen.